Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, December 3rd, 2020. On today's episode, we're having an emergency episode of this podcast with the entire Slash Film team because we got some huge news. Uh, this is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. I, I would say hello, hello, but that means we live in a normal time, and this is not a normal time. <laughs> Yeah, weekend editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me, and I'm dying. <laughs> Senior writer Ben Pearson. Uh, hey, what's going on? And I don't have a cool update to my normal thing. <laughs> <laughs> writer Huatran Bui. Hey, everyone in this changed world. <laughs> and Chris Evangelista. I, I'm not. I'm not doing a different. Classic Chris. Um. Okay, before we get into this, like, this is huge news. Like, I venture to say, like, I know, Ben, you said it was the biggest movie news story of the year. I think it, this might be the biggest movie, like, film industry news story of the decade. Like, is it? Well, um, 
let's see, Disney bought Lucasfilm, uh, Disney buying 20th Century Fox. I mean, there are some big contenders. I guess it, it would be in the top five, it seems like. But yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know how you would judge if it's the number one overall. But ben, but I, what is it? What is it, Ben? <laughs> oh, the, the actual news that we're here to discuss? Is that what you're talking about, Jacob? Yeah, I don't think we actually mentioned why we're doing this. Yeah, so why, 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 <laughs> why are we here, Ben? Yes. So as you probably read in the title of your podcast player in the episode, uh, Warner Brothers is premiering its entire 2021 slate on HBO Max and in theaters simultaneously. So this is just you know a few days or, or weeks after they uh, decided to do the same thing with Wonder Woman 1984 pretty recently. They said on Christmas Day, that movie is going to be coming to theaters and playing on HBO Max. It was a very big deal because it was the first major, uh, you know, huge budget superhero movie that is going to be sort of uh, debuting day and date in theaters and on a a streaming service. Um, HBO Max people, uh, subscribers will not have to pay any extra for it. So that was a big deal. And then that same uh, rule will apply here. So HBO Max subscribers will not have to pay an extra dime to see any of the movies that are coming out uh, through Warner Brothers next year, which I believe is something like 17 movies. And uh, there are some pretty big ones in here. Yeah. So, but, but, but HBO is going to be moving like the, the big, big ones, like the, the really important films. We're going to move that to 2022 and this is going to be like the smaller ones, right? No, absolutely not, Peter. We're talking some big movies and, and uh, they actually sent out this big press release and I'll just read the list of movies that they're talking about. And I guess they, these are the films that are expected to be included. I guess there's a chance that a couple of these might be shifted if you know they're not completed in time or something. But as of right now, these are the movies that we're talking about. The Little Things, Judas and the Black Messiah, Tom and Jerry, Godzilla vs. Kong, Mortal Kombat, Those Who Wish Me Dead, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, In the Heights, Space Jam, A New Legacy, The Suicide Squad, Reminiscence, Malignant, Dune, The Many Saints of Newark, King Richard, Cry Macho and The Matrix Four. So yeah, this, there are some pretty massive movies in here. Uh, arguably, a few that would have been potentially billion-dollar grocers. Um, and obviously, this is just you know uh, Warner Media and AT and T's biggest play to get people to subscribe to HBO Max. Um, this, I think, you know, we were talking about this in the Slack as this news was breaking, and, and Chris was saying this instantly makes HBO Max a sort of must-have streaming service. This is one that this is a decision that uh, really vaulted up there next to Netflix and Disney plus in my mind. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is an industry changing decision here. Like this isn't just like, I don't know. I think some people are reading this online and like, Oh good. I get to watch movies that I don't have to, you know, go out of the house like during this pandemic and watch movies. Like this is going to change the future of movies. I think I really believe that this decision is going to be a, a huge um, yeah, Peter, I just want to jump in here real quick to, uh, to piggyback off that because the yeah. press release says Warner Bros. is doing this because of COVID. It's a one-year thing. Uh, it's, it's just a one-year plan. Uh, but I think as professionals in this industry who've watched how it's changed, I think we all agree that this is not a one-year plan. It's a one-year test to see if this will be a permanent thing, right? Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's probably the case, sadly. I mean, it's, all the studios have been pushing. They, they wanted to have films come out uh you know on vod or premium vod or their streaming services uh you know sooner than the theatrical window that exhibitors wanted to allow but i guess now uh hbo max has become the home box office for real <laughs> right <laughs> so, sorry HG, i had to, to steal out oh, i'm sad i didn't think of it <laughs> 
okay, let's talk about the films really quick before we get into the details here. Like, what do you think the biggest film is of this bunch? Dune. Dune, for sure. Yeah. Like Dune, that... maybe The Matrix 4 might... Wait, hold on. You, you think Dune is the biggest movie out of this bunch? Out of The Suicide Squad and The Matrix 4? Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> maybe See, these are a bunch of people in the... For Den- Denis yeah. But Dune was being propped up to be the big uh, winter release this winter. And then they pushed it back a year to, to winter 2021 because they wanted to, to be that holiday release. And now it's going to be the holiday release day and date on HBO Max and in theaters. Yeah, I, think I, it's I, a... I unfortunately see Dune as being akin to Blade Runner 2049, where it doesn't make a huge box office dent, but it still gets a lot of prestige acclaim and whatnot. But what if it becomes the biggest hit on HBO Max? I mean, I mean plan. it's it's poss- possible. <laughs> I, I'm guessing maybe Suicide Squad is going to be the greatest hit of, of this bunch on HBO Max just because you have all the Snyder fans coming for the, ju- uh, the, the Snyder cut of Justice League. I don't know. Who knows? I mean, uh, well, that, but- that raises another question. How are we really going to know what's the biggest hit on HBO Max? Like, I we're in this weird period where all these streaming services, they send out emails like the Hulu just did this for run where they were like, it's the most watched movie on Hulu ever. And like, no, that that's not true. So like, how are we going to really ever know what's the biggest, how are we going to know if this is actually a success is what I guess. Yeah. I mean, what if box office reporting is dead, Chris, what if like Fox and all of them are, go down because, Netflix doesn't release these numbers unless they right. absolutely have to. Unless they want to brag about it, and even then, it's tweaked because it's. Did you watch two minutes of this? It gets counted. So and like Disney Plus doesn't release numbers. I mean, we have no idea how well that Mulan experiment did. You know, the only thing we we could go off of is the fact that they're not doing the the premium price for it and for you know like Soul and stuff like that. That suggests it wasn't a success, but we don't really know. We don't have the numbers, so I really am curious how this plays out on that, that end of how like, ah, like HBO max can send out an email being like, this was our biggest hit ever, but we, we were, I don't know. They could be, you know, full of shit is what I say. (laughs) Do we actually think that matrix four is actually going to release this year? It's on the list. They, they included it in their press release. I just feel like it's going to get bumped, but that doesn't mean it's not going to get released day and date to HBO max. So I don't know. Okay. Uh, I guess, Ben, uh, the, the next question to ask you is what are the terms of the exclusivity window? Because it's kind of strange. It's not just like it's going to be on HBO Max and theatrical at the same time. There's like some weird details. Yeah, it's basically the same thing that's happening for uh, Wonder Woman 1984, which is uh, it's going to theaters and then it will be on HBO Max. All, all these movies will be on HBO Max um, exclusively for 30 days. And then basically after that point, um, each film will leave the platform and continue theatrically in the U.S. and international territories with all customary distribution windows applying to the title. So it seems like um, after that 30-day thing, it will be able to go to you know other uh, places where you can actually pay to rent it. Um, <clears throat> so other outlets and, and uh, streaming revenue platforms and all that kind of stuff will be able to make money from the titles that way. But HBO Max is just sort of getting first crack at it at home. So... Um, if you're a subscriber, you have one month to just watch it from the comfort of your own home or, you know, at, the theatrical thing is sort of getting lost here. Like these movies are still going to be released in theaters. Um, and as of right now, I don't personally feel comfortable going to a theater. But by the time, you know, we get halfway through 2021, 
Um, I, I've read some recent reports and heard some things that like, you know, from the New York Times and, and other places that like they, they're thinking, you know, maybe late next summer um, will be at a point where the vaccine theoretically will be distributed to a wide enough, you know, a number of the population where things will be able to approximate going back to normal. So maybe by the end of the year, um, more people will feel comfortable going back out to theaters again and in, in sort of full force uh, if the, the pandemic is like deemed officially over. Um, so people will still be able to go to movie theaters to watch these things. But um, you have to wonder like how many are actually going to do that if you have access to it for free on HBO, you know, for free, quote unquote free, whatever it is, $15 and 99 cents a month or something for an HBO Max subscription. I think this will be an interesting test for of viewing habits of audiences and whether this is a turning point that is the point of no return for people who are more casual moviegoers than us because we are definitely, I think the majority of us are definitely for the theatrical experience over just the home viewing experience. But um, from what I've seen and like the temperature I've gained from just people I know, they often will just prefer to put to watch something over streaming than to go to the theater. And it they often equate the like streaming debut to the theatrical debut and I wonder if this is like that that first ripple in the change towards audiences choosing to see things in streaming even after a vaccine is found even after they're given the choice to go to the theater safely so it's almost going to be more of a test for how those audiences are going to choose between are they going to go to the theater on that or are they going to see the day and date release on streaming yeah I think this is a really interesting divide because I'm fortunate enough to live in a community that's always had really excellent theatrical exhibition. I've had options and theaters where, where I've enjoyed going, where I've enjoyed um, seeing movies with an audience, you know, where the actual exhibition was handled well. And I think for a lot of people, I think Chris on his podcast speak to this. Chris, Chris spends a miserable time at the movie theater uh, because it's been devalued so much. AMC and Regal and the major chains have have really lost their luster and they've driven people uh, to not want to go there. And they've created an opportunity for this to seem like a, a godsend for movie fans who just don't want to put up with the bullshit of badly run theaters full of uh, loud people and sticky floors and, and, and dim projection. Uh, I mean, we'll discuss, you know, the future of movie theaters momentarily on this show. Uh, but to me, it really feels like, depending on whether this is a great thing or the end of an important cornerstone of culture depends on how badly bitten you've been by your local theaters. Hmm. You know, Chris mentioned this in our Slack, but, uh, you know, if you had gone like six months ago and what we were hearing about this vaccine, like it looked very grim on like how long it was going to take to, to create this vaccine on what, kind of a percentage of um immunity it would give you um all, all the details were very cynical uh but now we're we're here like like ben said we're we're hearing a lot of stuff that is very positive and like it seems like they're ramping up the numbers of production of these vaccines it's like 90 percent and um th there is a chance that by you know you know, halfway through this year that a significant amount of the United States will will have this vaccine uh, and maybe I might be in the position that I feel safe again to return to the movie theater. 
So what what I, uh, what Chris brought up in the Slack, I think, is interesting. Do you think there's any possibility that Warner Brothers changes their mind mid year and sees like they're losing out on money theatrically? No. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think so because I mean, they're already releasing them all in theaters no matter what. So there's, I mean, you know, why pull back the option of offering it on HBO Max when what they really want to do, for, absolutely, is test this out. And I think, like HC said, they really want to see what audiences do when, uh, especially later in the year when they're given the choice to either see it in theaters safely again or just stay at home. And I think that what we'll likely find is that we'll see audiences going to the movies for big event movies, you know, the, the blockbusters, and they'll probably stay home more frequently for mid-budget movies, prestige dramas, indies, you know, th- things like that. And so the, I think that's where the big shift will come from this. And I think HBO uh, or Warner Brothers and HBO Max, they just want to see if that's the case. And if it does, like that's where the big overall change in the industry is going to come from. Yeah, Peter, I want to mention real quick, um, Kyle Buchanan, who is a a reporter for The New York Times. He's very smart, writes a lot of good stuff about uh, the film world. He tweeted, um, if HBO Max is such a corporate priority that the company will utterly torpedo their theatrical slate and the potential future of movie going just to shore it up. This is not a quote unquote one year plan. This is the plan. Millions of consumers still don't understand the difference between HBO Max and HBO. And because of that marketing snafu, an entire conglomerate has now blown up the future of movies. So I, I feel like that is like that sort of piggybacks off of what Brad was talking about there. I think this is, um, you know, this is not just that, that unique yeah. one year plan. I think, I think this is really going to be something that they're, you know, they're obviously putting a lot of resources and a lot of backing into. No, I, I, I think I was being facetious with that question because I think like once you make this announcement, you can't go back on it. Right. Because you're, you're committing subscribers to a thing that you're promised you're marketing, you're marketing that these films are going to be on there. So I don't think they can, pullback even if they wanted to um if if it turned out this experiment didn't work which i don't think is going to be the case um i do think it's interesting that the that that exclusivity window that you talked about ben that one month that like that seems to be because they have all these pre-existing deals for like rental and home video releases and it, it seems so strange to me that they were able to get out of these pre-existing deals with theater chains they weren't able to get out of the pre-existing deals with like iTunes or something. Because theaters aren't in a position to negotiate. They're in a position to uh, die now or die later. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if it really is as simple as that. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, I do have one quick question uh, just for everybody. Uh, let's, put, let's, let's make a bet. Let's all make some wagers. How many days from now does the Roku HBO Max deal close if we finally get HBO Max on Roku, which I've been waiting for for a while now. I've been using on my tv cable box instead of on my roku uh, I, say, I say i say it happens before wonder woman 1984 yeah it'll definitely i definitely think they'll especially now because like roku has like no bargaining chips at this point it's like <laughs> hi we have all the movies they're gonna be like oh all right and they're gonna finally give in maybe this was just a long game by hp max to finally get on roku <laughs> <laughs> Roku's lost this one. There's there's no way that they're gonna they're gonna have to give it. Like I, I feel like HBO at this point is like whatever they wanted, they're like raising the price now. Do you know what I mean? They're like, oh, you should have done it for mm-hmm. what we wanted before. Well, <laughs> now I want it on PlayStation 5 and on Roku, which are the two devices I use most often. I have to switch to my damn cable box to use HBO Max, and that's not oh HBO Max, why <laughs> I can sense that frustration. <laughs> the only one, the only thing I turn my cable box on is 
HBO goddamn Max. I, I I honestly didn't realize that the Roku was such a big thing because to me it feels like the Walmart of streaming devices. Well, yeah. I don't know why, because everyone has it. Yeah, yeah every, every, I mean, and it's because it's cheaper than the rest of the options. But like I I've just always liked the preferred Apple TV. Yeah, I, I very much prefer Apple TV, but I know a lot of people do not like Apple TV because of the remote. But that said. You can use other remotes with it. You don't have to use that. You can. Remote. I mean, yeah, you can program like a. <laughs> but Peter, when I turn on my TV, remote. when I turn on my TV, I'm immediately at a Roku menu. It's the first thing I see, and my apps are all there, all of them except for HBO fucking Max. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I feel for you, Jacob. Um, but let's get out of the Roku territory. Let's talk about the underlying thing. I think we're we're all here for. Does this. Does this ensure the death of movie theaters? I, I think it's like what we're all worried about. Like, I, I, like I know Chris loves movies and he doesn't like going to movie theaters because of the situation that you have, uh, you know, it's, it's the situation of like uh, AMC in his people. area. People. people. Is the <laughs> I like I like theaters. I hate the people in the theaters. That's my problem. And I think you see this as like, oh, good, I get to stay home and I don't have to go to the theater to see these things, but. I, I'm sure you don't want to see theaters die. Will this kill theaters, Chris? I don't think it will. I think, uh, or maybe I'm I'm saying I'm hoping. This is what I hope. I hope this you know lights a fire under theaters' asses, and they're like, oh shit, we have to actually clean up our act because you know for the last uh, forever really, theaters have been you know like we're the only game in town. You got to play by our rules, and now. They have, you know, they have a reason to, to worry, you know, uh, to like, oh, shit, we have to actually we have to try. That's what they have to do. They have to actually start trying, because if theaters can get their act together, if theaters can give people a reason to go to them, you know, like give us an excuse to leave our houses, you know, to get, you know, go out and, and go into a theater, they'll be fine. But they have to actually, you know, put the effort into there. It can't just be, you know. But but effort costs money, and now they're in the position where they're probably not going to be getting even a like tenth of a fraction of what they were getting. Well, I think what we're going to see is a lot of, especially now that I forget the, what's the name of that that law that it doesn't exist. Anymore. Oh, the Paramount Consent Decree. Right. I feel like because of that, we're going to see a lot more studios buying theaters because they can now, and uh, theaters are going to become more niche and more boutique and i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because i think you know if you give you know look alamo draft house they have a lot of behind the scene problems but their their formula is a good formula and if you know the movie going formula it, it 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 inspires people to actually want to go there so if other theaters can you know zero in on doing something like that. I'm not saying like the same exact model, but you know, you know, being a place that feels like cool to go to, like, ah, I'm going to the theater. This is cool. Like people will go to that, but until they do that, you know, people are going to have this option of like, I can just stay the hell home and watch this. Why would I go out? So I, I guess my answer is I don't want it to kill theaters, but I also want it to inspire theaters to get their shit together. Yeah, I know that Chris's favorite uncle, uh, one Steven Spielberg, uh, about 10 <laughs> years ago, was doing this very honest interview where he talked about how he doesn't see theaters surviving as they are and how he said it will become a Broadway situation. You'd pay 50 to $70 to go see the massive release and you'd see the new stuff at home. 
I remember covering this years and years ago, not on Slashfilm. This is way before I was even a writer on Slashfilm, let alone an editor. I'm thinking, man, it'll be crazy if this comes to pass. I don't think it's going to happen. And uh, I think he really saw the future here. I, I, I don't see how, if this works, if WB doubles down on this and other studios follow suit, I don't see how Regal and AMC, who are built to cram as many people as possible into a room uh, and have teenagers run projectors poorly and sell lots of popcorn, I don't see how that business model works. I don't see how it survives. I don't see how it thrives. Uh, I think Chris is right. The draft house model, you know, is the way to go. That, as somebody who you know lives in Austin, and that's where I see all my movies before the pandemic, the idea of good food, good drinks, uh, strict no talking rules, uh, seating that does not feel like you're in, in, like crammed like in like sardines, an experience that feels unique and special. Uh, I that's what theaters need to become, and I do think ticket prices will go up. I do think theaters will die out uh, on, on a massive level uh but i do think in the same way that people still buy blu-rays and still buy vinyl it's going to exist but it's gonna have to be a get lean get creative and evolve or die situation yeah i think that's absolutely what it's about and like obviously i may be a little more inclined to go to theaters than your average you know audience member but like um i live here in the midwest you know and we don't have uh, Alamo draft houses out here. We have some theaters that do similar operations, but they're not nearly as plentiful as they are, you know, in big metropolitan areas. E- even in Chicago, the, the dining theaters, there's only a handful of them. And there used to be an Alamo draft house in Kalamazoo, Michigan, which is about two hours away. And when it was operating every now and then I would go out of my way to drive two hours away to do, you know, certain special events that they had early screenings, whatnot, just because, I knew it was going to be a uh, you know a really good experience, and it was worth investing that time. And so, uh, theaters definitely they have to make it worth and you know entice audiences to come to theaters again instead of you know running them as these you know bargain places where they're just trying to shill as much concessions as they can and delivering a poor experience. Okay, uh, we should move on. Let's talk about uh, I, I guess okay. Ben, you, you, you read that quote from what New York Times, I think it was, mm-hmm. um, that like basically saying that this is not something that's temporary for the uh, coronavirus, that this is a test that th- that Warner Brothers wants to see how this goes, because this could be the future of movies like now that they like they do this, like, is there any way to put the genie back in the bottle for 2022 if they wanted if they even wanted to? Man, I don't know. That's a really tough question. And I just, I personally, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter saying like, oh, this is definitely a temporary thing. I don't know how everybody is so sure about these guesses when everything in the entertainment world has been so, you know, wildly fluctuating this year. But um, there seemed to be, it seems to be split down the middle from my Twitter feed anyway, of people saying, you know, this is definitely the way of the future now. And then other people saying, ah, this is just a temporary measure. And I just, I personally just find it really, really hard to imagine a scenario where, Warner Media is able to, you know, give people this thing, this this uh, life that they never had on a silver platter, and then let them gorge on it for a year, and then, you know, once January first, twenty twenty two rolls around, just whip it back away from them, and you know, say no, never again. Like this is not going to happen. I just, I feel like the, you know, the genie's out of the bottle. It's going to be really, really, really hard for them to go back to the way it was. And I, I just, 
Um, I, I don't know. I mean, we, we can have the, this conversation. I'm sure we will have this conversation over the next few years about whether or not that's a good thing for the industry. Um, but I, I think they've they've really like planted their feet here and and made a decision that I think is going to have very very long lasting ramifications. Yeah, yeah I, I can't imagine that Universal's not having meetings right now about putting their slate on Peacock. Uh, and right. trying to fall, I can't imagine every studio in town is having this meeting well, right now, and they're all discussing Dis- it. And it's all going to happen. Disney has their investors meeting next week. Do you think this is forces their hand? I yeah, Black Widow. Their are? Black Widow hits Disney Plus. It has to. It has I to. wouldn't be surprised if Disney wasn't already planning this, and like Warner Brothers heard of that, you know, through the grapevine. They were like, "Shit, we better get on." Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Disney had plans for something like this all along, honestly, because you know they we've known about this this meeting they're having for a while now. So, hmm. uh, okay. Uh, what, what does this mean for, let's go into the weeds a little bit. Uh, Warner brothers has this big relationship with Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan has been a big proponent of the theatrical experience. Uh, he pushed for tenant to be a theatrical release and Warner brothers kind of, I, I think there's some tension there of how Warner brothers actually handled that. Uh, but now with Warner brothers committing to this next year of, putting theatrical day and date on HBO max. Does that, will that make Christopher Nolan go elsewhere? doesn't even matter. Actually. <laughs> I don't know. Like, even... This is one of the big relationships. I mean, there are so few filmmak modern filmmakers who, who are so tied to one studio. I mean, there are a handful, but you always hear stories about how, you know, certain studios will bend over backwards for certain filmmakers. And, uh, and when when that breaks, when it doesn't happen, it's usually a big deal. I like I I still think back to Martin Scorsese taking a punch of Netflix and then Apple uh, after Paramount wouldn't you know help him out. I mean, these relationships when they do break down really do feel like big news. And Nolan being one of the filmmakers, one of the few filmmakers whose name alone can sell tickets, uh, makes this a really interesting point because like it's also about like Quentin Tarantino. Uh, right now, he made his last movie with Sony. Sony doesn't have a major stake in the streaming wars yet but what if it did what how would he react i i think this is a really interesting good question and one that i think we should be talking about and one that i don't have a good answer to but i just wanted to lay this groundwork because it's on my brain too <laughs> yeah I, like i just don't even know where he can go right like what is a studio that can fund the projects at the level that he wants you know the, he wants to make these big movies like he can't go to Disney because Disney's likely going to be doing the same thing, right? And he probably wouldn't go to to Universal either because they're on the verge. They they have that uh, window theatrical exhibition ex- exhibition window with a uh, deal with AMC, but I feel like they're on the verge of leading more towards streaming, especially with Peacock. So <laughs> I wonder if he'll just go where the money is and go directly to Netflix or Apple TV Plus, like companies that have huge deep pockets and just sort of bite the bullet. And like, I, I wonder if he'll, I haven't read that new book. There's uh what is it called? The Nolan variances or something. There's like a, a new book that's out or, or coming out very soon that I've seen a lot of excerpts from making the rounds recently where he uh, participated in a bunch of interviews um, for this, uh, this author. And I, I wonder if there might be some clues in there about his feeling toward all of this, that we might be able to like gain some, you know, read between the lines and get some subtext there that, um, that might help us answer this question. Imagine Christopher Nolan's spilling his tea all over himself when he, when he, he psychically <laughs> hears Ben refer to Netflix as an option for him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't imagine Nolan doing that unless Netflix or Apple TV like offered him a few months exclusivity in, in theaters. Right. 
I don't know. That's the thing. I mean, this is such a big deal. And like Jacob said, like Warner Brothers, I think is the studio that I think of when it comes to uh, these relationships with, with directors. Warner Brothers, like, you know, when I, when I, over the past decade, I feel like that's been one of the big stories that, that has been hit and hammered home over and over and over again. Warner Brothers and Nolan, Warner Brothers and Ben Affleck, Warner Brothers and Clint Eastwood. These are like, you know, some of the most important relationships between studios and filmmakers there, um, it, you know, in the entire industry. And I just, I, I don't know, it's for them to make a decision like this and really like, it feels like the die is cast in a very serious way that, that even like the, uh, the universal deal that HC just talked about, that kind of felt like a half measure. And this feels way bigger to me because it's the entire slate and, and it seems like they're really, pushing HBO Max as the thing, as the future of, you know, of the entertainment branch of their company. And if a major studio that had these relationships with filmmakers is willing to do that now, and importantly, is willing to stick to that, you know, even after 2021, um, Christopher Nolan is not going to have a choice. Like he's, he's going to have to go wherever, uh, you know, wherever people will give him the money. And I, I don't, I don't know if like the days of the Nolan esque deals might be over. I'm not sure. Let's talk about the money there for a second. I, I know um, Jacob brought up and I like a question about uh, back end deals. Like you had to, like, like something you'd say about back end deals, right, Jacob? Yeah. I saw some screenwriters who I follow on social media talking about this kind of openly. And the idea is that when shows started really going to streaming and writers weren't getting the deals they got, for when shows aired traditionally, they went on a strike. It was a massive deal. It was it led to all kinds of contract renegotiations about how writers get paid and what they're owed in the streaming world. And movies are a different business than television. Uh, back-end deals tend to be different. They tend to be bigger if you do have one. Uh, but it definitely is a good question of if Godzilla vs. Kong is streaming on HBO Max and maybe only doing half the business they would have done in theaters because of that, and there was an existing back-end deal, uh, what does that mean for people who had those deals, the filmmakers, the producers, the writers, the actors? Uh, do they have a legal case? Will we see another strike amongst the guilds to try if this becomes the new norm? Uh, because this isn't just about us, how we watch movies. It's about how people make movies. Because the people who make movies uh, have rights and deals built into their guilds and built into their workplace. This is going to fundamentally shift uh, that if this becomes a new normal. And you'd think that they would have like went to these filmmakers and like negotiated this before this whole thing was announced. But I think we learned somewhere that Legendary was learned about this for the first time when it got reported that uh, the their film, what is it, uh, Godzilla vs. Kong? Yeah. Is going to be on HBO and theatrical. Like they didn't even know that. And they're, you know, the producing partner for that film. Uh, that That is a good question. Not, not just, um, you know, because these are pre-existing deals for these films, but it's also probably I'm sure there must be clauses in there for the, you know, the circumstances that were, were in like a global pandemic. <laughs> I remember um, when the pandemic first hit and Trolls World, uh, Trolls World Tour debuted at home. I remember writing a story about how Justin Timberlake and Anna Kendrick were like fighting for bonuses because they weren't told ahead of time about the release plan and, and how that was going to change. But now that people are aware of it, theoretically going to be aware of it going in, I wonder if the contracts will just be sort of reworked in advance to sort of factor all that kind of back end stuff in. And it really like, you know, kind of Chris was alluding to this earlier, like 
you know, not only how will we know whether something is uh, as big of a hit on HBO Max as they claim it is, but like what what is the definition of a success even anymore? Like, you know, we'll still have the ability to check in on the theatrical numbers for whatever small percentage of people choose to go see the movies theatrically, but without HBO Max willingly dishing out, you know, viewership numbers, I just wonder like, will movies no longer be, you know, the, the center point of culture in the way that they have been for so long. And, and, you know, that's been eroding over the past, what, 20 years anyway, as the, as a sort of given way to TV. But I, I just wonder if that um, erosion is going to continue or, or, you know, slide further in a, in a pretty massive way now that we're not going to be able to be like, Oh, you know, this movie made whatever a billion dollars, like the, those kinds of, um, monoculture events seem like they're it's going to be fewer and fewer opportunities for stuff like that yeah i'm just thinking of two years ago at comic-con kevin feige took the stage at the marvel panel and announced there that endgames became the biggest movie of all time and i'm imagining all the newspaper ads where james cameron congratulates so-and-so or spielberg congratulates so-and-so on the, on their movie being surpassed and box office is is not just industry inside stuff it how much a movie makes, uh, the top 10 high grossing films of all time, how that shifts, how you look at inflation. All this stuff has really crawled out of the niche of Hollywood accounting. It's become a, a touchstone for how we, how we talk about uh, how movies influence the culture. I mean, like it or not, Endgame uh, made so much damn money, uh, and you can see the, in literal writing on the wall and in weekly box-off reports, you can measure its cultural success same with you know or lack thereof with avatar or with lord of the rings and it's been such a useful tool for how we examine why things matter and how mm-hmm. they ring true with people and without that tool the way we talk about culture starts to change and maybe i'm an old man but i don't like it i mean well, i'm guessing international box office is going to become more important than ever because this is only a domestic thing, right? Like this isn't happening in like Canada. It's not happening overseas. Like this is only the, yeah. The, H- re- the reason being is HBO max has not rolled out internationally. Right. So yet. it's, you know, I, I'm guessing, you know, I mean, international box office is already important, especially, you know, like China and stuff <laughs> like that, but now it's going to become, I guess, even more important than ever for, you know, those specific, you know, reasons. I, I, I'm guessing, you know, because, you know, whenever we write up box office stories, we usually, like this is how much it did domestically, and here's what it did overseas. And now I guess it's just going to be lumped into like one big thing now. I guess like are, are we overreacting in thinking that movie theaters might be dead? Because like as Chris points out, you know it's only the U.S. that this is basically happening in. Like I know we are in the U.S., so we that's where our focus <laughs> primarily is. Um, but you know internationally, a lot of movie theaters are open. And internationally, the, these movies are going to play there and they're still going to like it's still going to be a thing over there while it isn't here for 2020. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that the, the death of movie theaters, you know, has been called several times before. You know, it happened with TV and it happened with, uh, you know, VCRs and, it, you know, it's, it's continued. There's always some new technological innovation. People are like, oh, this is really going to hurt movie theaters. And granted, movie theater business has dropped over the years, but I don't think it's for a, a, a lack of interest in seeing movies in theaters. But again, as we talked about before, it's the lack of uh, quality in the experience of going to theaters when you can have such a, 
a much more relaxing you know, experience without people around you texting or talking or ruining it um, at, you know, at home where you don't have to worry about that. And so I, I think it's just this is just the next step of evolution and it will have some major impact on the industry. But I just think that, you know, saying that this is the the, the death of movie theaters is, is far too extreme and it's, it's way too early to tell. I, th- I think the biggest surprise to me this year in terms of how the movie industry is changing is I thought that we were going to get closer to that. that we're going to shrink that window in movies. We're going to go to premium VOD earlier. Um, and it seems like we, we've completely cut premium VOD out of the equation. We've cut out home video. Like movie studios have been making so much money off home video and premium VOD for, you know, what my, my entire lifetime. So, what what happens when you cut that out of the equation? Like well, that be, seems like to be fair, like it is interesting. Like they're only showing these movies on HBO Max for a month, right? Wasn't that the window? So mm-hmm. it's not like they're just going to always be there. So I do think, but they will be. They're they're going to go to premium VOD and then they'll eventually fa- find their home on HBO Max, right? Like isn't that what HBO Max is? It's like the home after the home video release i well i i think you know even like the dc movies um you know which theoretically should constantly be in hbo max's library we write articles all the time about movies that are coming and disappearing from hbo max and like a lot of the the main dc movies sort of get shuffled around so i I feel like it's just um you know warner media or at&t or whatever uh conglomerate is making that decision is just looking at, okay, what is the most valuable thing that I can do with this specific asset at any, any given time? If somebody is willing to pay us, um, you know, a decent amount of money for us to license these rights, um, you know, maybe it's more valuable for us to take that in the short term than it is to have the, uh, the value of it, you know, just living on our quote unquote home service, um, you know, at all times. So I, I think, the yes, Peter, that that would be like the grand uh, ideal is like, oh, anything that Warner Brothers makes just automatically ends up on HBO Max forever. But I feel like it's slightly more complicated than that in, in practice. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I've just been assuming that those things that you mentioned, like the movies coming off HBO Max were like pre-existing deals before HBO Max was like a solidified thing because they, they, you know, they planned years into the future of their movie releases. But you might be right. Maybe maybe that isn't that maybe my assumptions are wrong and maybe, um, you know, some other network or whatever wants the rights for it. So they are able to take it off. I mean, I guess they, they haven't promised us anything, right. They haven't promised yeah. us the library is going to be there forever. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, any, any other thoughts on this, uh, this development? Uh, I want to bring up one thing. Um, I, you know, I, I listen to and, and watch a ton and read a ton of interviews with filmmakers. And one of the things that they're always talking about is like, what can we do to make this a theatrical, you know, a movie that basically people will go to the theater to see, like they're, they're constantly like planning moments and like um, envisioning the scope and size and, and like big, you know, sort of uh, awe worthy moments and stuff like that when they, when they're in the planning stages of making their movies. And I saw um, David Ehrlich, who's a, another very good critic uh, on Twitter said, sometimes I think good movies only exist because there was a certain bar that they had to clear for people to leave the house. And now there's no real need for them anymore. And I I don't know if I fully agree with that, but I feel like his sentiment there is, is not too far off. Like if you look at, 
you know, th- there's definitely a difference between Netflix original movies, uh, even their big sort of like top tier blockbuster ones um, and m- movies that are, you know, like a Warner Brothers uh, blockbuster or a Disney blockbuster or something like something that is uh, more designed to see in the theater, like the Netflix movies. And we've been having the same conversation for the past few years now, but like, you know, there's there's a little bit of a of a laziness to it, of a you know a formulaic quality to it, the the ability where you feel like it's almost designed so with with the um, the intention that people are like watching their phones instead of paying full attention to the movie. Um, so I wonder if this decision is going to like literally affect the quality of filmmaking that we see moving forward. If you know, I guess beyond twenty twenty one, because these movies are already theoretically done or scripted or, you know, in, in post-production or whatever. Um, if this deal becomes the new normal, maybe across more studios, will people still pay that much attention or, or put that much thought into those kinds of decisions? And then will those, um, <laughs> will the, will the, the lack of those kinds of moments end up producing worse quality content in in the process i don't know just a thought i think why well, i think studios have bolstered that perspective too because there's the you know there have been several instances where studios have had movies that were once slated for theatrical that they ended up not being confident in, and so they gave them a streaming release on you know netflix or hulu or or wherever and when that happens there's a certain drop in expectations they're like oh okay well this must not be worth seeing in theaters if the studio is mm-hmm. willing to drop it off you know with movies like uh cloverfield paradox or um super intelligence as a recent example which was once slated for theaters but just hit hbo max over thanksgiving weekend so i, I think that there's definitely um yeah something to be said about yeah, yeah they're uh, just a drop in awareness of like the quality of a movie it, it, it's that whole thing of like the availability of it when it is more uh, limited availability. It, it's like the whole thing with like the sneaker culture of like when it's more uh, uh, like, like limited availability, you, you put more value in it. Like, even though like the, the Nike sneaker that, you know, went on sale today and like people grabbed within a minute and it sold out online or whatever, like that's the, it's the same as like the ones you can go into the store and get, but like, because it's limited, like people care about it more. And I think that that's what happens with the movie going process is because people put more value in these, these movies because they, they were the theatrical experience. They were the thing that people were willing to spend, you know, $15 a ticket, bring their whole family, buy popcorn and go into a, you know, a crowded theater to see. And I think, um, maybe us as humans or Americans, like maybe how we look at these, these movies now that they're going to be released online, maybe there'll be less value there. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, it's something to keep an eye on. I, 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 I don't know if there's any way to actually judge this. Um, I do think the, the month long window does kind of make it an event like, Oh, we got to watch this in a month or it'll be gone. So I do think yeah. that does kind of still make it an event, but oh, that's a good. Good point. Yeah. Do you think though, like, you know, I'm playing devil's advocate here. I don't think this at all, but um you know, back in the day, Star Wars would, would stay in theater for over a year and people would like that because that was the only way to go see it. So you'd keep on going back to the theater. Do you think something like, um, you know, I know this happened with like movies like the the Star the recent Star Wars movies and also like Avengers Endgame where people saw it like very like a lot of times in the theater over its theatrical run. Do you think people will see a movie like um, 
like I guess Suicide Squad on HBO Max and then end up, you know, a month later going to see it theatrically because it's not it's available. Because, yeah, these, again, these are movies designed for the theater, for the big screen. And perhaps there's a different experience that even people who maybe aren't interested in the theatrical experience would be willing to see that um, on the big screen and wanting to see how it changes uh, in that regard. So I think there is still that that um, appeal, especially if they release these, if they're like the theatrical tent poles like this. Yeah. Okay. I think we've we've... We've gone 45 minutes talking about this topic. Does anybody have anything more to say about how Warner Brothers premiering theatrical films on HBO Max is going to affect the future of the film uh, viewing process? I think we've said it all. Okay. We've said it all, Peter. Uh, I I do think that this, I think I speak for us all. This, This fundamentally shifts a lot of things, including how we may cover everything going forward. Yeah. I think all eyes are going to be on that Disney investors conference that happens, I think next week or something like that. Um, because we're, we're going to see how the mouse house reacts to this. But um, as always, you can find a link to the story that we discussed on today's podcast in the show notes. You can find this podcast in Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, Spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.